Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, of course, and this is episode number 27. And on today's show, I am just super excited to be sitting down and chatting with David Zoll. David is a speaker, writer, and pastor, and he lives in Charlottesville, Virginia. He's mostly known, though, for his curation and direction of the Mockingbird website, Mockingbird Ministries. Uh, Mockingbird is a ministry uh, that seeks to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life in really down-to-earth and eye-opening ways. And in this show, we get into the story behind that website, behind Mockingbird, where it's been and sort of where the site is going. We also talk about the mission behind both not only Mockingbird, but also David Zoll's own ministerial endeavors as well. Namely, that is to continue helping readers and Christians everywhere distinguish between God's law and God's gospel, and seeing those themes in the world all around them. I think you will find this show really, really uh, enriching and very encouraging. And to me, this was a thrilling conversation, one that I had been wanting to schedule for a while now, and our schedule just happened to line up and make it happen. But I think you're going to enjoy this discussion as we talk law and gospel and grace and and ministry and and the hope of the cross as well. So stick around, and I know you're going to be blessed. One quick note, um, I wanted to enhance, sort of, um, at the end of the conversation, we mentioned a shout-out the 2018 Mockingbird Conference that's happening in New York City just a few short days from now, April 26th through 28th, and I'm stoked to be going to that conference. Um, I'm going to be in New York City for a while for uh, all those days, so if you're in and around New York City or if you're going to be there, just let me know. Uh, I'd love to meet up with you and connect with you and just sit down and talk with you there, so make sure you make note of that, and if you're there, I hope to see you and, and get connected with you. Also, also, before we begin, today's show, as you know, is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now for the show, now for Dave Zoll. All right. Well, thanks, David. Thanks for joining the Ministry of My Podcast. I'm very well. How are you thanks, this for, thanks for having me on, Brad. Yeah, no problem. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and it's just kind of, I know our schedules have kind of been crazy, oh, but absolutely. I'm glad it finally Scheduling. worked out. <laughs> that's that's half of half of whatever job you have today <laughs> is scheduling is a good part of it. You know? Yes. <laughs> I'm learning that. Um, for, those, uh, for those of my, you know, 10 listeners that are probably – you know, unfamiliar with who David Zoll is, why don't you uh, just start by kind of introducing yourself in as many or as, you know, little words as you feel Uh, necessary. Sure. (laughs) I am uh, the father of three little boys and I live here in Charlottesville, uh, Mm. Virginia with my wife, Kate, uh, but who is a painter. I'm uh, originally from New York and my father is a theologian and uh minister um episcopal uh his name is paul zoll and he's he's written a bunch of books that some people might be familiar with and let's see in two i i went to you know i've sort of uh, moved around all over the place when i was a kid but um in 2007 uh with a couple friends started mockingbird and that kind of 
grew from something uh, local and um, I don't know, not not that very ambitious to something larger, and it's become it's become a platform mm-hmm. the for connecting the message of God's grace uh, to all aspects of everyday life, and so. Um, we have uh, we do podcasts and we do um, lots of writing, lots of uh, and Brad, you've you've uh, contributed some things. I, you actually have, have something I think might be going up later this week on our website, and uh, you, uh, we publish books and we host lots of conferences. So um, yeah, we can talk more about that. But that's who I am. Is um, you know the proper answer is I am a uh, adopted child of the living God, but <laughs> the practical question yeah. is that I am a 38 year old guy living in Charlottesville, Virginia, who sort of fell backwards into a wonderful um, vocation uh, as a kind of yeah. proclaimer of God's uh, uh, one way love for sinners in all sorts of. Um, Amen strange and ever evolving uh venues <laughs> for sure and uh i have to just say right off the bat that i'm very thankful for the ministry of mockingbird it's, you know it's how we got connected and i'm very thankful to you know i'm very humbled to be a part of that and uh, but before we sort of get there um let's let's start with your your ministry background i know that you've worked for a number of years as sort of a youth or a student minister in varying capacities. Um, just talk about uh, your experiences with young adult ministry and some of the things that you've, you know, kind of learned at each, yeah, each stop well, along the way. So I, because I was the son of a pastor, uh, my, my parents were very, and they were d- deeply convicted of the message of, um, God's grace and or sort of law, law and gospel, all the mm. all the um, things that are actually animate Mockingbird. They were in practice. They they w- what it meant is that they were deeply aware of how damaging it could be to force or coerce us into any kind of faith um, commitment. And so they um, gave mm. us a very long leash in terms of our youth ministry involvement. And I went off to. Uh, boarding school because we were moving around so much um, and I didn't want to go to, you know, four high schools in four years. So I went off to a boarding school <laughs> and kind of checked out of the faith and then went to college and did did somewhat too, though I, you know, when I come home, I'd go to church. It was That was always like a non-negotiable that we'd go to church, but any other deeper involvement or what we believed was um, not, they, they sort of really put it in God's hands. And so, um, I graduated from college and uh, I'd, I'd sort of started reading the Bible on my own. And, you know, a lot of ministers' kids or people who've grown up in those kind of families know that you, it can't be your parents that convert you. <laughs> and uh, or maybe it, it, mm. occasionally, I guess it can be anything can be. But it for me, it, it had to be something outside of that. So I had some experiences mm. after college of falling on my face and maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, um, stuff you know you're not that proud of or just coming into contact with who I really was rather than who I thought I was and um got involved in this uh ministry called Focus which is a youth ministry in um actually to the same boarding schools that I was involved with so it was kind of like god using this strange period of my life to uh for his purposes and so i went and worked for this organization for five years it's a little bit like young life but for prep schools and um i loved yeah. it you know it what a, what i but what i found that i loved is that you know we'd have camps in the summer and what would happen at these camps is just like at a young life camp i guess you just the basic gospel was presented and there were some kids who'd never heard it before but lots of kids who just came back just to hear the gospel and during this time, I was sort of I started listening to the White Horse Inn and got involved. I got to know Rod, Rod Rosenblatt a little bit, who's a, kind of a Godfather type figure. And um, this idea that Christians need to hear the gospel and that even young people need to hear the gospel over and over that they don't you don't kind of become a Christian and then um, graduate or then it's not a bait and switch. Okay, now here's the law uh, that that you couldn't fulfill beforehand, but now you can, and this is gonna be what um, 
shackles you. Or the pe- people need to hear the gospel. So mm. I exp- I saw that in front of me. Now you know, working with young people is interesting. I think that maybe like a lot of people who are freshly converted to the faith, uh, I was a little in your face, um, and I kind of maybe like a lot of twenty two year olds, I, I I kind of thought I knew better than than everyone else. And, um, and so I was, I tried to integrate this, this message, um, which was easy to, because it was, it was an evangelistic ministry. So you're kind of off the hook in terms of a lot of the, um, I don't know, this, if, if, if when you're talking about discipleship and sanctification, it's a you get into much more difficult debates around grace than you do if you're just trying to uh, preach the message that people have never heard. So it, would, it was a really good fit, though. I mean, there were moments of tension and there were moments of me growing up. Um, uh, what I learned was that, uh, gosh, I learned so much. I think that um, the relational aspect of things was just enormous. And what it, what really involved with yeah. young people was kind of just hanging in there with them. I was convinced at at a pretty young age. I mean, you could see some of them sort of take advantage, like just like any young people kind of take advantage of the gospel. Um, but if you hung in there long enough, uh, the, you know, you can't really take advantage of the gospel. I'm convinced. So you'd see people, if, if you just stuck in there, life would happen. And then the, the message, God would be there. The, the Jesus, the Holy spirit and the message would find traction in their sinful hearts, um, it, which wasn't always apparent from the get-go. Especially, you know, and the difficulty you ran into was always with the Christian families, the super Christian parents who kind of wanted you, you, your your uh, role to be one of control. They just basically wanted their kids not mm. to drink and have sex. And so that was – and I, I understand that. I want my kids to behave themselves. I don't want any kind of, you know – pregnancies or anything like that but um or arrests so you get that sense especially as a parent but it was once you mix all that kind of authority up with the faith um it gets complicated especially when it's things like sex and drinking the drinking thing which will basically morally almost morally expire when you turn 21 and uh, the sex Mm. thing which will kind of morally expire when you get married so it's i wanted to i was the focus i kind of knew pretty soon that um I wanted to have the long view of really a life together with these kids and a lot of whom have become my good friends and I'm still very much in touch with, but um, that I wanted to focus on stuff that wouldn't expire. So a lot of the moral Mm. stuff, um, uh, there's, I kind of left that to other people. Um, It didn't mean I didn't care. I didn't weigh in, you know, that, that if they were sort of hurting themselves in some way, I wouldn't, wouldn't say something, but the I wanted to talk about life and death and um, transcendence and forgiveness and the really hard stuff. And I think that teenagers can handle that. In fact, they really respect it. Um, whereas everyone's telling them basically not to drink and have sex. I mean, it's not just the Christians saying that. So, um, But I think increasingly the Christians are the only ones talking about not just second chances, but third chances, fourth chances, uh, you know, forgiveness, um, new life, uh, reconciliation, uh, grace. We're the only ones actually, from what I can tell, really taking that seriously, especially in a world. I was doing this while social media was really coming into vogue and you were starting to see the initial uh, scarring that that was doing to people, especially in their adolescence. Mm-hmm. So I just keep giving you a lot, mm-hmm. Brad. <laughs> no, no, it's very good. I, it's interesting to hear sort of the things that you you learned in youth ministry are. I don't know if this is everywhere, but it's so in line with what I have learned myself. And, and I'm I'm a young guy in ministry, but um, very early on, I realized that you know what I had come to learn about the gospel is not necessarily what parents wanted you to preach to mm. their teens. And um, to me, that's a very sad reality. 
Um, and just like you, what you were saying is, you know, <laughs> I've said this before is most parents just want, uh, you know, youth group to be a glorified, you know, daycare for their teens. They don't really want anything else than that. Just make sure they don't do anything too crazy. Um, and they have fun and eat lots of pizza and then you're a good youth pastor and you don't question, you know, what they're teaching them in their own house. And I think that's very sad. It, 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 I think it creates a very, um, it creates this tension, I think, between quote unquote adult Bible study and teen Bible study, because, you know, once you get to adult Bible study, it changes sometimes. And what you learn there is different from what you learn in youth group. And then there's this dichotomy between, a youth group and the church necessarily. And I think that's a very sad reality when that happens, but, you know, kind of like the ministry of rooted. And I think what the ministry of mockingbird is, is that it's not whether you're five or whether you're 55 or 85, you need the same message of grace your whole life. And I think that's important. Um, And I think that's something that I have been trying to champion. And I, I know that you are as well. Um, with every single thing that you're doing is <laughs> we all have the same need uh, regardless of your age and regardless of your background and regardless of where you come from. And I think that's very important to realize. Um, and I, I don't think that message gets preached or taught nowadays. It's, 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 we want, I think you've talked about this before. Uh, we want silver bullet fixes and grace isn't a silver bullet. Yeah. That's it's not a silver bullet, and that and it's it's um, it's like the it's 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 the, the the rock that you sort of fall onto rather than when when you've been hit by a silver bullet. The uh, <laughs> the the I I totally lament the same thing. I mean, there are some things I think the adolescent brain he- can hear something sometimes a little differently you know they, they're they're very excited not to be you know it, sometimes they'll what they'll hear grace and they'll be like oh you can't tell me mom you can't tell me when to go to sleep anymore you know and <clears throat> that's clearly not it and if that's the case it, I, I think as i look back that maybe i overestimated um some of these students or underestimated their ability to uh turn the gospel into a means of self-justification like immediately mm-hmm. but by and large, the people that heard the message of grace have stuck with the faith, and they mm-hmm. still they wrestle with it. I mean, they're they're, <clears throat> but they end up going to church and they end up going mm. into ministry and things like that. Whereas a lot of the kids that were sort of super on fire at one point, you know, they, they get out there and they hear something else that they get excited about or something else that is maybe producing more results in their life, and they um. They kind of go there, and I think that the the short view was, oh, am I damaging these kids? And the long view has been like, I think we were damaging the other kids. Um, yeah. And I do lament also the fact that the the way that the youth group culture has emerged. I mean, there weren't youth groups in the you know nineteenth century, so it, it it's one of these things where there's like JV Christianity versus varsity Christianity, and that's. Yeah. I, I, that's clearly um, – there's real Christians and sort of lukewarm Christians. I, all of that kind of language, I think, that hierarchy stuff is basically for the birds. <laughs> but I think a lot of the uh, – it hasn't been – one of the other problems is not so much that there's been uh, adult church and kid church, but that adult church became kid church. Um a lot of uh, churches resemble youth groups more than vice versa, more than youth groups yes. resembling adult church. And I would, I'm just, I want to stress the second one. Um, uh, I, I don't think that's a license to be boring or to be um, totally out of tune with what's going on around you. But um, when the, in the sixties, I think it was mainly, um, and it was a lot of the influence of <laughs> apparently, well, from what I've read, a lot of the influence of the Methodist uh, youth movement. Um, a lot of churches started to take on in the in the sort of name of relevancy. They took on a lot of the youth group um, format, and that's not just guitar. It, 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 it was guitars superficially, and guitars are great. You know, I, I I love contemporary worship, but it was more. They also took on the youth group theology. And that was the real problem. What became a very yeah. sentimental relationship with Jesus, um, 
I do my part, you know, and he does his. And that's where we got into trouble, not so much with the aesthetics, but with the theology. And um, I, I feel like we're suffering an enormous fallout from uh, years of that and majoring on things like the moral stuff that is most applicable to young people. Um, when, when, they're, when, when, uh, when people are like, well, the church, all we know about the church is that they're against sex and, and alcohol. And you want to be like, that's because that's not the, what the church is actually, the only things the church has something to say about. The church has stuff to say about all sorts of topics. But the main thing it has something to say about is forgiveness and grace. Right. And, um, but because we got so enamored of youth and the culture, like America is enamored of youth, you know, we, we, to, um, to no one gets, you talk to any Hollywood, you know, movie stars, no one gets cast over the age of 50, at least, especially women. And, um, so, a, and a youth theology will be ones that, that emphasize that rule keeping morality, but around very specific topics that ultimately have, have I think, backfired royally. Mm. I totally agree. And speaking of something else that's for the birds, um, let's talk about Mockingbird and tell me. <laughs> good yeah, good, good like transition. Good transition. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me how Mockingbird Ministries sort of came to be and where that sort of idea came from and i know you said it was it started humbly and it's sort of grown and um just yeah just kind of tell me give me the the the, the, the you know the 30 for 30 of of mockingbird <laughs> uh sure well um <laughs> it was uh i grew up and i am still very much an episcopalian which is a very um strange and um denomination that people always kind of raise their eyebrows when they find that out but it's you know just you read the 39 articles that are our confession in the back of the book of common prayer and it's it's all very much in line with everything that mockingbird is talking about but you can you can cut that Brad if you want to but the um no I, let me just interject and say i think it's glorious and wonderful that a baptist and an episcopalian can sit down and talk and uh I think it's a pretty cool sign of of what the gospel can do, but that's just uh, that's just how I look at it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Mockingbird has no denominational affiliation. We've got people mm -hmm. from all across the Christian world, and some from the outside involved. So, um, anyway, but our denomination was going through a period of enormous uh, heartache and infighting and division. Um, that's not it, it was it was at a high point in the early 2000s. And so a lot of people that believed in grace felt like the church had been co-opted by culture war um, fighting and people were really being nasty to each other. And so I had a, some friends, some young friends who were like, how can we do ministry and talk about grace uh, in a way that escapes some of this stuff? And so we... Um, in our hubris and in our arrogance, we decided to start this organization, Mockingbird. It was also like I was um, I had been a youth minister and it was a convergence of different things. I, I had been a youth minister and a lot of my students had moved to New York City where they stopped going to church. And usually that was because they were so busy and overworked. But they also, you know um, – I wanted to kind of keep up with them, see that next next phase. I felt that the New York was full of burned out former Christians. The, the the what Rod Rosenblatt calls the sad and and mad alumni of the Christian faith. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> uh, so we started out by just being, like, you know, we don't hear the the the, the message of you know law and gospel of uh, the theology of the cross of the bondage of the will we don't hear that being preached from many pulpits and we certainly don't feel like uh, all of our uh, energy in within the church was being uh, co-opted by these um, fights that people were in not that by the way not that not to trivialize all of that stuff some of it was important some of it was not important but um, we wanted a venue where we could just keep the main thing the main thing and so that's what we did. We and I was not ordained and wasn't really interested in being ordained because everyone I know who was involved in the church capital C was miserable because yeah. you know they or at least they were miserable to the extent they had to be involved in the larger church because it just involved 
being lectured or being controlled or micromanaged or something like that. And so um, we started Mockingbird and uh, as a place where we could just preach the gospel as we understood it and have some freedom to be creative. But I mean, as, as, you, as you can hear me, as I hear myself say it, I mean, I kind of want to throw up because it was is the sort of thing that only men in their early 20s ever do. Like you, you think that you really know everything. And so, you know what, we can start our own organization. And there's a little, even though we believe in the theology of the cross, there is a huge amount of glory seeking um, involved in that mixed with some real love for people and um, love for God. And so all of that, God took this, I think this um, melange of, um, mixed motives and turned it into something where originally we started it to be uh, relational based and um, it, it remains relational, but it, it, the stuff that we were doing that was more global, I guess, or the, the internet, if you want to reach young adults or people burned by the church, you know, go to the internet. That's where they all are. And uh, so we started a website and, you know, slowly but surely that picked up steam. We did a publication, we um, had a conference and these things kind of, uh, started to uh, gain traction. And so we just went where we felt we were being directed. And that's, I think, once it sort of part of the initial hubris uh, died, uh, and it's always dying, but it's all, but we almost closed shop because of money. You know, it was right when the financial crisis hit. Yeah. And um, once we sort of gave up three years into it, gave it to, uh, God. Well, then it. We moved to Charlottesville. The budget got cut in half. All sorts of people came out of the woodwork to help, and um, our staff increased. And it got a lot of a lot of fun. And um, okay. it, since then, it's just been walking through whatever doors open in front of us. Sure. And uh, um, yeah, going where it feels the life is, and so it's dynamic. There's no five year plans involved. There's no strategy documents. There's not even a um, I, we we kind of know what we're going to do this year and have some ideas about next year, but it's all up for grabs uh, depending on what comes next. So, well, it's interesting that you should say that because that kind of ruins one of my other questions, which was what's on the horizon for Mockingbird. But that's okay. Um, no, I can tell. I have, <laughs> we, have t- we have tons of irons in the fire. We, it doesn't mean people hear that and they're like, "Well, wait a second. I don't want to." give money to something that doesn't know what it's doing. It's like, well, we have, if you want to know what we're doing, we've got about 50 things, but I, it, they could all fall apart mm. and we would still do something, do something different. Uh, do you want to hear about what we're doing? I would love to hear what you're doing. I remember a couple months ago, I think it was either you or one of the other um, main contributors was talking about, uh, you know, Mockingbird 2.0. Um, but I don't know if that's what you're referring to or not. Yeah, Mockingbird 2.0. I went on a sabbatical and felt like, you know, I'd been at this 10 years and just wanted to think about things in a fresh way and just, you know, uh, I I personally personally have a tendency to kind of put my head down and just get things done and not um and only think about the larger questions when I have to. Mm. So a sabbatical was really helpful for that. It was like, what do what do what do I want to do? What keeps me engaged because I I really feel this is where I'm called to be. And, uh, it was, that is also, you know, in consultation with my, the board and with my coworkers, cause you know, there's, we have a staff of about eight people now. Um, I wanted, I, I felt like it was time to, um, just to, just re- refresh everything we we're up to, so that's why this I, this kind of silly idea of Mockingbird 2.0 it's just it's just a, a a word for a bunch of different initiatives that we've we've started. You know, we we want to um, overhaul and and upgrade our podcast work. We want to you know we're we rebranded. We're thinking about the magazine, our print magazine, in a fresh way, and we've we just the new issue that's coming out. Uh, it's actually at the printers. It should be out next week. Um, that'll have a fresh look to it. We're going to redesign the site, but that probably won't be till 2019. And what, when we redesign it, we'll probably slow things down a little bit, uh, continue to make it a little less bloggy, um, though I love blogs, and a little bit continue to lean into the publication sphere. Um, we've got an app that we've that's almost finished that's really fantastic, like a mobile app, a native app that I think is going to be awesome. Um, th- 
our conferences, you know, we're just doing them and we want to continue to do them in different fresh places. So it's, it's like a, there, there's more to it than that. You know, we were looking to producing some video resources and um, lots of books in the pipeline that we're, we're going to be publishing. I'm working on a book for Fortress Press actually that I'm really excited about. And so there's a lot of different things um, oh, like, you know, for the website, though, more more uh, seeking out, balancing out some of the content a little bit more and kind of taking the pulse of where are we? What are we writing about? What are we used to write about? What 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 do people want us to write about? And kind of seeing those things through fresh well, eyes. Um, that's that's what's on the horizon. And it's really fun. But it means that I've been working behind the scenes a ton Uh you know, doing stuff that will be ready soon, but not quite yet. <laughs> well, and I like, um, I think it's important, you know, that you always sort of kind of step back and take a big look at things. Um, because, well, and for me, Mockingbird is kind of become sort of equated with, you know, seeing the gospel in pop culture. And I don't know if that's what you always intended, but it's it's always interesting to me that whenever I can come and read something on Mockingbird, that it's always fresh, but it's engaging, and it makes you think about the gospel um, in different ways. And I don't know, it, was that the goal, or is that something that kind of evolved into where you are now? If well, that makes sense. part of you know, pop culture is such a loaded term. It it, it is usually diminutizing. You know, it usually mm-hmm. means not serious, and everything I read on. Most of what I read on Mockingbird is actually deadly serious, even when we're being mm-hmm. funny. So I don't like the term. You know, I, I, I mean, it's pop culture. We talk about pop culture because that's where people live, and that's where we live. You know, that's that's we're watching television, and you know, we're consuming music, and we're we're doing all these things. But if you actually you know, we're, I'm very careful on the website. I sound defensive now, but very careful <laughs> on the website to not make it like, here's a review of a movie. Here's a review of a TV show. Like we'll do a couple of those a week. But if you, you know, if people actually, um, because we have, you know, pop cultural images with everything and videos involved, then people think it's a pop culture ministry. But that, that's, um, we're talking about suicide, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, painting, we're, we're talking about, yes, we're talking about television, but I did not set out to create a pop culture ministry. Although I wrote a book about music, I just wanted to <laughs> speak from the heart. And I don't think you can speak from the heart if you're a certain type of person who has grown, grown up in a certain era of American life, um, yeah. at least talk without talking about pop culture. So, um, yeah, I'm happy for for us to be associated with pop culture, but um, that would get pretty boring pretty quickly. It's like, <laughs> here's a Christian take on The Walking Dead. Here's a Christian take. You know, like that is not anything that gets me out of bed in the morning. It's much mm-hmm. more, where does the grace of God touch down in my life? And where does the, the law play out in the world? And um, so... We have, you know, we have a lot of personal essays that go up. It's it's become over the years more, um, you know, the, at one point we were more theolog- explicitly theological and eggheaded, I guess, or abstract, and we still do that. I mean, I've got I'm paying someone to do that right now, and um, but you know, it's always a thing. Like then, then you get to be just your head in the clouds. And so then let's get some more personal stuff going. And then you get to be too, you know, self-absorbed. And then, then you, you want to talk about some pop culture and and alleviate some of the heaviness. And then, but then you're doing too much of that. And so it's always this fun, I think, very alive dynamic of Mm. editing a site um, is, I think sometimes people think it's it's pop culture because we don't talk about politics that much. <laughs> um, but everywhere else talks about politics. We're trying to talk about the human condition, about God's grace. And uh, there's plenty of explicitly uh, theological, social science, psychological. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's that's a long answer to a short question. No, it, you know, I didn't mean to be reductive and sort of um... – Associating Mockingbird with pop culture, I know it talks about many, many other things. But what I find interesting always is the fact that you, along with you know others like Will and Ethan, they can 
they can see long gospel themes in places where long gospel, you know, you wouldn't necessarily suspect, you know, reading something from the Times or the Atlantic or something like that. And it's it's interesting to me, um, just as a, you know, a Christian reader who doesn't always think that way, um, but, but people are, you know, as it says in the, in, in the Word, you know, we have the law written on our hearts, even sinners do, and they don't even realize it, with it but it kind of expresses itself sometimes when in the, in people's writings or publications or whatnot. And I always find that interesting to see that um, because as I think you've pointed out before many times that, you know, all of these people that don't believe in Jesus, they still have the same need and they're all searching for the same things. They're just going about it in very odd and interesting ways. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, you clearly, I, I've heard the, que- the the pop culture thing. It's just something I've I've heard a lot, and I didn't I didn't I didn't pick up on anything remotely uh, demeaning or reductive about it for me. So please, um, I just it's always an opportunity for me to clarify um, <laughs> what 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 we're actually thinking about. The the actual animating concerns behind Mockingbird have nothing like nothing to do with pop culture, or they only have something to do with pop culture insofar as pop culture is what occupies our brain and heart space. Mm. And uh, it is a fertile ground of connection with other human beings and with ourselves. Mm. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I I wasn't brought up by parents that, that had any kind of, um, they weren't imposing any filters on what that that's wrong like i wasn't allowed to see r-rated movies when i was a kid or something like that but it was more like um it wasn't like christians watch this sort of stuff and non-christians watch that kind of stuff <laughs> and as i've as i've grown up i've and dealt with the christian world and the fallout of uh evangelicalism with a capital e um you do meet a lot of people who were said you you can't listen to that kind of music you can't listen to this that was never the case for me so it's not freighted and it's, I'm not sort of feeling like oh I'm being naughty by talking about Eminem or something like that there's <laughs> nothing like that it doesn't that didn't that didn't even occur to me it only occurs to me in retrospect because um, other people have mentioned it so it it it, it allowed. Uh, it was just part of the way my father sees the world, you know, and um, I, as it's the kind of mother's milk with which I was raised in that um, pop culture connects with, it's the language of the heart a lot of times. Yes. And so um, I didn't have a, I wasn't trying to transgress by talking about pop culture. I was genuinely interested in it. I like love music. It's really um, left to my own devices. I would just read music biographies <laughs> and no, no, like no theology. So that's not entirely true, but you know, um, it's like, uh, I think in Mockingbird, sometimes people pick up on a bit of a freedom there, which I, which I, that's a good thing. I'm happy to, that they would pick up on a freedom that we can the gospel is true in all times and all places. The, the low anthropology that we talk about, the, the high Christology, these things aren't fictions. You know, they're not only true with Christian art, they're true across the board. So it's, if, if, if something is telling the truth or even getting at the truth remotely, um, there will be some touchstone for the gospel. And some, sometimes people turn in something else like, I hated that movie. Are you kidding me? I thought that was the opposite of the gospel. And then they would, they'll, they'll talk about how it reached them in their own place of need and, and you'll be like, wow, look at that. It's And that's, I think, encouraging to people who were brought up to be afraid of the wide world rather than see that they are already a part of it. And um, the question is whether or not they see the gospel as applying and or touching down in those areas or not. Um, there's no dichotomy between uh, sacred and secular that it's in, in, in that mm. way, in, the, in that in the sort of a cultural way. Mm. And I think one of, I, I would say one of the heartbeats of, if you can have multiple heartbeats, but one of the heartbeats of Mockingbird is what you've talked about before, sort of the law and gospel, um, uh, just discerning between both of those. Um, you know, for some, uh, that whole dichotomy between law and gospel and reading your Bible that way is a, a newer idea, especially if you haven't grown up in sort of a reformational church um, 
Can you give me and some of our listeners sort of a elevator synopsis of what law and gospel theology is? Sure. Law and gospel um, theology is, I think it's it's a deeply biblical hermeneutic for looking at the, it's, or lens for looking at the, reading the Bible and also reading your own life uh, that says that God speaks to us in two different ways, into two words, which are ultimately one, but two words, which is his law, which is a uh, command, the divine injunction, uh, the, the Sinai, uh, the Sermon on the Mount um, of what it you know, who we should be. And, um, that, that we hear echoes of that in all sorts of non-holy ways. Uh, you know, the sort of little L law that we like to talk about, but God speaks to us in the law, which it's purpose of which is to, uh, reveal to us, to us who we are and, um, and, uh, in part who God is, but also, um, and to drive us to our knees, to a place of need where we can actually hear, hear the second word of the gospel or the second word from God, which is the gospel, which is the word of grace, um, God's forgiveness of the, the blood of Christ shed for, shed for you. Um, and people tend not to reach out for that until it's their only option. Um, and so the law is there to humble us, to drive us to be, you know, to our knees. And the gospel is that which saves. So we sometimes think the law is what we need to save. And it's not the law. Um, if we could follow the law, then, um, we would be, it would be great. You know, if righteousness, you know, Paul talks about this, it's all, it's all St. Paul interpreting Jesus. But, um, so this is how kind of you read the Bible and, um, it doesn't say the old Testament is law. The new Testament is gospel. That's not at all. It's like, it's, it's woven throughout just like it's woven throughout your life. Um, but uh, yeah, law and gospel. I found that when people understand this, the Bible comes alive for them in a way that it hasn't actually yes. before. It's most of the time what we do is we read the Bible and we all we hear is law. All we hear is what we should, who we should be, what we should do, what we're not doing, how God basically hates hates us. And the gospel says actually God loves you, and um, and He knows who you are, and He loves you still, and so much so that He sends His Son to uh, die for you, and that there's nothing you can do to um, to minimize that, and so uh, it's exciting. It makes your it makes the faith exciting, but it's not a false thing that people you're you're thrusting onto it. I mean, it the law and gospel is what it, it grabs you, it shakes you, it tells you all sorts of things you don't want to hear about yourself, and it also reveals to you that God is much larger and greater and more uh, gracious than we ever dared imagine or hope. So, the uh, that's the. It, and it's a, by the way, it's historical. It's right there in the Reformation. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's deeply, it's in Augustine as well, especially later Augustine. And it's uh, all over the writings of Martin Luther, of course. And it's been part of our tradition in um, Anglicanism, but also in Lutheranism, uh, not so much in some of the other Reformed traditions, but it's still there. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what we wrote a little book called I recommend it to any. Readers, the long gospel of theology for sinners and saints, and it really tries to um, spell out what we what we mean, at least when we talk about this. Uh, so, yeah, is that? Oh, that's perfect, David. I, I I really appreciated that answer. I was actually going to plug that book as well. It was a it was a formative little book for me uh, when I came across it um, because you know, growing up in sort of an independent Baptist church, I wasn't always introduced to the ideas of discerning between law and gospel and my reading of scripture uh, when I was younger, but sort of in my college days, this reality sort of hit me. And like you said, it, it shook me and it sort of made my uh, reading of the Bible come alive, uh, like you said. And I think it's it's something that I'm very passionate about now because once you see it, it's kind of like you can't unsee it. Um, and once you realize it, it's like, man, this is, <laughs> it's everywhere. It's not just like you said, it's not just Old Testament law and New Testament gospel. It's everywhere in your scripture, and it makes it a beautiful sort of tapestry of 
seeing what God was doing in the grander scheme of redemption instead of just seeing it as, you know, go to John 19 and see what Jesus did for you. It's, you know, go to Exodus yeah. and go to Joshua and you can see it there as well. Um, and that's what I think makes it uh, really, really beautiful and captivating. And it's not, you know, it's not a way of, people think it's a way of controlling scripture. It's a way of like standing above it and saying, mm. this is, I've mastered it in some way. But in fact, what, what it is a way of, of sort of safeguarding against the mastery question, because left to our own devices, we look to it and we think scripture is just basically a handbook to, yes. and, and if we just understand it enough, then we will be sanctified or something like that. Or if we just uh, live a certain way and it's, it's, that's not at all. It's the cradle that holds the baby Jesus. Then it, 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 the gospel itself. So it is something that um, it actually puts us back under scripture as something that operates on the person that deconstructs a person that, that, that raises them to new life, not the Bible itself, but God as speaking through his word. And so it's, it's, it's exciting and it's not a straitjacket, you know, it's um, because I do hear that sometimes it's like, Oh, well, this is a way of like it, it actually thrusts you back into your life, into the mystery of what it means to be alive. And you see God at work all of a sudden in places where you didn't think he was present. Because mm. I think if you lose the distinction between the law and the gospel, you basically um, lose the gospel. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, uh, it's uh, when people grab a hold of it, they, they get pumped. And, uh, you know, we're, we're living in a time, though, where a lot of people think Christianity is just about telling people what to do. And, and that I, I see it less and less in front, sort of the moralism of, you know, conservative evangelicalism and more and more in terms of the, uh, you know, um, social justice, political uh, megaphones that you find on the left side of the equation. Uh, they turn Christianity is just law for them. It's just the same thing. It's just a more, it's a less individualized, but just is, is equally uh, killing in its effect on the human sinner. And let me say one other thing, Brad, because if anyone's, you know, anyone's listening, uh, the people, when we talk about law, the way we talk about it, they always think you're making the law into a problem or something bad. And the law and gospel paradigm actually lifts up the law it says it's 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 larger and better than um we think oh, because it applies to not just your behavior but your internal your motivation your heart and um and it's more true it's actually truer to what christ talked about and it's more inescapable and uh but the law is a for its the law is not the problem. Sin is the problem. So the law is a problem for sinners who can hear it and hear it as a tool to mastery and self-justification. And so that's why sometimes we have to constantly be saying, no, you know, the law is actually really good. And it's not something that needs to be muted or never talked about. It's it's just we as sinners, as broken people living in a broken world and as, you know, actively rebellious people, um, the law um, we do – we do to the law what we do to anything, but it it, it makes problems worse if, if there's no gospel. It um, it increases the trespass. It reveals uh, the the extent of our sin. And so, for a sinner, law is problem. It's I won't use the word problematic because I hate that word. But it's uh, the sinner has a dysfunctional relationship with the law, to say the least. Mm. And um, so that's just um, bears. Uh, clarifying, I guess. No, I, I love that, and I—that's I, what I love about you know not only the the ministry of Mockingbird, but your ministry as well, and is in which is sort of like the theory behind Mockingbird, if I can say that, which is you know it's it, you're singing the same song over and over again, many different ways, and it's the song that you can never save yourself, and that Jesus has made a way for you to be saved. And um, that sort of idea, I think it's something similar to what you talked about in your in your talk at the Here We Still Stand conference, which, by the way, I just listened to. But um, it, it that's what I appreciate, and that's what I uh, aim to do with my own, you know, sort of writing ministry is to, you know, sing the same song many different ways and point people to Jesus in, in those ways. Well, amen. If that's that's the, what we've uh, communicated or conveyed, then <laughs> maybe the Holy Spirit has been uh, at work after all. <laughs> amen to that. And I, I know you're 
a little bit crunch for time, but I just want to say thank you again for coming on. We can end on that good note and um, we'll have to do this again in the, in the future. And uh, really quick before we go, just sort of, if you take the last couple of seconds and uh, plug NYC eight, uh, 2018, which I am uh, graciously going to be attending. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, Brad, I can't wait. I'll see you next month in uh, New York. We yes. are our annual conference, our 11th conference. If folks want to come, we would love, for you to join us it's in new york it's springtime it's beautiful if you need uh help uh scholarship wise uh because it's actually cheaper we lose money on it because the food we serve is is good and it's new york city for crying out loud but it's um uh we there is some scholarships uh funds still available but yeah we'd love to see you it's going to be great we're going to be talking about grace and divided times and uh, alan jacobs will be there to speak and i'll be there and a, a lot of sarah condon all all sorts of uh, wonderful speakers i i highly commend it to you if you've never been to a mockingbird conference then you don't actually know mockingbird <laughs> yes and I, I'm, that's why i'm looking forward to coming to my first one so it'll be it'll be exciting my first one in new york so there we go Amen, my friend. All right. Well, thank you, Brad. Yeah, thanks, David. I appreciate your time this morning. And thanks again to Dave for making the time to come on the show today. I hope and, and I pray that you found this conversation just as encouraging and just as enlightening as I did. And so make sure you read the blog notes under this show because there's a slew of just fantastic resources mentioned in the podcast that I think you can find linked there. And I think you're going to find those extremely helpful and beneficial for you. But that's it for today's show. Uh, that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening along. If you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Ministry Minded, at underscore Ministry Minded. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes and on SoundCloud and on Google Play. You can also uh, follow us on YouTube. And if you're feeling really generous, you can leave me a review, a short review on iTunes, or you can like us there as well. Those likes and those reviews go a really long way in making shows like this uh, happen. And uh, so I appreciate that. Thanks again, though, to Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring this show. They are awesome. Thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. You guys are awesome as well. And I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.